You are Locked On Marlins, your daily podcast on the Miami Marlins, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome back to the Locked On Marlins podcast, your only daily podcast on all things Miami Marlins. As always, I'm your host, Aram Layton. I'm a longtime Marlins writer as well as a minor league play-by-play broadcaster. And in today's episode, we're going to talk a little bit about my takeaways from the last couple spring training games and then a little bit on the report that the Marlins may be players in the 2022 free agency. That would be free agency after this season. John Morosi came out and said the Marlins are already early targeting Anthony Rizzo and Carlos Correa. It somewhat fits the timeline, even going back to Project Wolverine. Man, I never thought I'd bring that up again. But it fits the timeline of when the Marlins were expecting to spend and up their payroll. While it did also outline an uptick in payroll in 2021, which would be this season, Obviously, COVID threw a wrench into those plans, but the Marlins still have a very clear path to being able to spend a little bit of money next year, and I think it could really happen because they're going to clear up a lot of money in terms of their payroll. They're going to eventually, I hope, I mean, it's ridiculous that they still haven't done it, but they're going to eventually sign a new TV deal. They may get naming rights on the stadium, but that's just a little bit on top. That's more of just the cherry, but the new TV deal and the money off the books is huge. We know the TV deal is going to be more than double what it is right now, or at least something close to that. And then they're going to have about $27 million roughly off the books when you consider the fact that Corey Dickerson and 9.5 will be off the books, and then 12.5 from Starling Marte. Then you could potentially have Aguilar and Alfaro non-tendered, and that would add up to $29 million cleared off. So you clear off the $29 million, you're going to have some arbitration salaries jump a little bit. Sandy Alcantara will be up for arbitration, a few other players that will hopefully play well and see an uptick in their pay, but still would keep the Marlins somewhere around the 18 to $20 million range in savings. And that's on top of the fact that they will have more money in earnings this year. They're going to have limited fans, whether it's 20% and they ramp it up as the season goes on. That's money that did not exist this past season and the new TV deal. So you combine the two, that's definitely good news for the Marlins. And I think that's why they're already starting to just think about some of their targets for next year. Also, the Marlins could clear up more cap space if they end up declining the option on Adam Duvall, which would put it over the $30 million mark, closer to $31 million, and there are some other moving parts as well. Correa is a more of a surprise, I'd say, than the Rizzo name being dropped. As we've been floating the idea of Rizzo coming back home for a while now. A guy that's from Marjorie Stoneman Douglas, that's where he went to high school, was drafted out of there. And he still lives down here in South Florida. You figured that Rizzo, who's still very involved charitably down here and just in general spending time down here, that he might come back towards the end of his career. He's still not close to the end of his career yet. He'll be 32 that free agency year. And look, he's coming off a bit of a down year last year, but so many veterans and very talented veterans had bad seasons last year. I'm not going to put too much stock into it. And still Rizzo won his third straight gold glove and fourth in five years. I would love to see him back in Miami, but that would also mean that Lewin Diaz isn't really getting it done because Diaz is somewhat what you're hoping Rizzo will be. A really good defensive first baseman hits from the left side and has some power, will get on base. 
that's somewhat of the mold that you want from Waywin Diaz. So it would be unfortunate, but it wouldn't be a bad backup plan, and I'd be happy to see Rizzo back here. Also, though, if there is a DH in the National League next season, then Rizzo makes a ton of sense. But do you waste such a good defensive first baseman in the DH spot, or do you put Lewin in the DH spot, even though he's good defensively? Maybe Lewin ends up getting some more reps in the outfield. There's a lot to unpack there, but I think if you can get a player like Anthony Rizzo, he's going to put more fans in the seats, and he's still going to be someone that can contribute, and he's good for the clubhouse, and the Marlins can use all the power they can get. Looking at Correa, that's more of a game changer in terms of what you'd be adding to your lineup, but Correa doesn't come without some questions as well, and I don't know what a contract looks like for Correa. With Rizzo, I'm thinking he's going to want three to four years, and I'm thinking he's going to want to get paid because he signed a seven-year, $41 million deal in 2013, which is not chump change by any means, but if Rizzo didn't sign that deal, he probably could have been closer to the $100 million range with his production, especially off of the World Series high in 2016, where teams infamously delve out big contracts to players that help them win a title. You could imagine the Cubs probably would have done anything to keep Rizzo around that time and probably thought that they were going to win multiple in a row, and it just has not continued in that way, and the Cubs are in a weird spot right now. I just don't see them bringing back all of their guys. They might keep Rizzo, but then are they going to be able to keep Javi Baez, Chris Bryant, one of those guys, or two of those guys, or all of those guys are going to be gone, and they all are interesting for the Marlins. I think Javi Baez is fascinating as well, but I started with Correa, so let me finish with Correa, and then I'll talk about some of the other free agent options. Correa, since he was directly tied to the Marlins, is somebody that, like I said, game changer, but he needs to be on the field to change the game. And that's been the problem for the former number one overall pick. He's only played more than 110 games in one of his five full seasons. Obviously, I can't dock him for last season. When he's healthy, the numbers are great. His career numbers, 276, 353, 480 slash line. There is some inconsistency with his production, but I attribute that to the injuries that he was coming back from and then still trying to get back going again. Then he'd get hurt and then try to get back into it. And then the season would end. So that's what I largely attribute it to because when he's healthy for long stretches, he is really good. Also, what he did in the playoffs this past year was utterly absurd. Six home runs in 13 games. You got a chance to really see what Carlos Correa is capable of. He was unstoppable in the postseason. But what does a contract look like for Carlos Correa. He would be the youngest player in free agency at 27 years old. Nobody would be younger than Carlos Correa. So that's something that you have to consider because he's probably going to want that security. He's going to want seven years. I don't know if teams are going to give an injury-prone shortstop who's not even that great defensively seven years, but that's where it'll get interesting because the Marlins have maybe a little bit more financial flexibility. And depending on how Correa plays this year, let's assume he has an average season or is right along his career numbers at 276, hits you 22 bombs, and does what Carlos Correa does in spurts, gets really hot, gets a little cold, and still finishes out with an OPS in the mid-800s, maybe sometimes flirting with 900. That's a very, very good player and something that the Marlins don't really have. You would love to add that guy to your lineup, but what does that contract look like? I think about what Elvis Andrews got a few years back. He got eight years, $120 million. That's a terrible contract, but that was also a hometown deal where the Rangers were just willing to pay the guy and a similar situation there where you talk about the World Series. While they didn't win World Series, a lot of fond memories with Andrews, and I think it was a little bit impulsive to give him that deal as they already moved on from it, trading him over to Oakland. And while eight years 120 sounds like a lot, it's only 15 million annual value. And that's a deal that I think the Marlins could handle. 
Think about it. That's only two and a half million more than what Starling Marte is making this year. And the Marlins are clearly very broke this year. I think when you clear off that 12 and a half, do I want to give an injury prone shortstop eight years? Probably not. But if that's the way the Marlins are able to get an impact player, and it would be the first big splash really since Jose Reyes, which didn't really work out either. But I just don't know because those contracts typically don't work. But there's also that little voice inside of me that's like, who cares? The Marlins need to go get an impact free agent and he can really help them. And if he puts it together, that's a bargain at $15 million a year with the way contracts are going. It's a push and pull. And that's a difficult decision that the Marlins have to make. I'd assume they wouldn't want to go more than five years. Maybe they'd stretch to six with a option for the seventh. And maybe another team won't match that. I think it's largely dependent on what Carlos Correa does this year. But the fact that the Marlins are even remotely tied to those two names is good news. Those are two good, really good players that could make a major impact at the star level when they're healthy and going well. But because of their inconsistencies a little bit, more so Rizzo just limited to first and coming off of a meh year. And we'll have to see what he does this year. Correa more so inconsistent. They're not going to command the $200 million that the Marlins can't afford. It'll be more in the 150 or less range for Correa. I expect more towards the lower 100s, but you never know. The contracts nowadays don't make much sense. A couple other guys that are fascinating for me is I've floated Salvi Perez for months now. I wanted the Marlins to trade for him. They didn't do it. We'll see if Jorge Alfaro puts it together this year. He's looked good in spring training so far, but if he doesn't, if he ends up fizzling out a little bit, Salvi Perez at 32 years old still has a few years left in the tank behind the dish. Coming off of a spectacular season, another wait-and-see guy on a 160-game scale. He's also playing for a terrible team. Maybe the Marlins can go out and get him for a cheap return if the Royals aren't good this year and then try to work him into a one- or two-year extension. You never know. I would not mind that at all. Javi Baez, who I touched on before, 29 years old, also coming off of a bad year. How's he going to look this year? He blamed it on the video, saying he didn't have the in-game adjustments that he was able to make because he didn't have access to the video. Is that going to affect him this year, or is he going to keep blaming the Astros? He's incredibly talented. He's a great defender. He can play third. He can play short. He can play second. So that versatility would help the Marlins as they decide what they're going to do with Isan Diaz, Jazz Chisholm, and Miguel Rojas, Brian Anderson eventually. Javi would be an upgrade over most of those guys, and you're going to find a way to make that work, but that would be very fascinating for the Marlins. And there's some ties there of Javi Baez, a Puerto Rican, that would be closer to home. The fans would love him here, and that would be a really cool marriage. Plus, he's just an exciting player that's going to put people in the seats, which is very important for the Marlins as well. I'm going to get into some of the takeaways from this spring training games, the last couple that have been fun to watch, and the Marlins have looked really good overall when you're considering the things that are important to look for. Isan Diaz and Jazz both putting it together at the plate as of late. Jorge Alfaro has looked good. Some of the young pitchers have looked strong, and I'm looking forward to getting into that in just a moment. A reminder that this episode is brought to you by betonline.ag, your online sportsbook experts. While NFL season may be over, we got NBA, college basketball, NHL all in full swing. BetOnline even covers awards, TV shows, reality TV, with real-time updated odds and props on almost anything you can imagine. BetOnline has you covered for all the news, scores, and odds. It's the best way to place your bets, and it's free to sign up. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and use the promo code LOCKEDON, that's one word, LOCKEDON, for a 50% welcome bonus 
with your initial deposit. That's betonline.ag with the promo code locked on for a 50% welcome bonus on your initial deposit. Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts. So let's talk a little bit about spring training. And it's tough. You don't want to overreact, but you also want to pay attention and look for the positives. And again, another big positive for me, which is something that's not as much results-based, just something more observation-based, is that Braxton Garrett's velocity is ticking up. Rather than sitting more in the 89 to 90 range, he's closer to 91 to 92, touching 93. That is much more palatable and will allow him to have just so much more success working off of that slow breaking ball that's really effective, but also helping him with a third pitch as well. Just love to see the velocity tick back up. I was a little concerned about it, but it looks like he is getting back to where he normally sat. I'd like to see him hit 93 a bit more, but he can survive at 91 to 92, occasionally hitting a three. And with the slider and curveball combination, the slider looks a little bit sharper too as that velocity upticked a bit. Two scoreless innings for him. He looked really strong. Anthony Bass running it up to 96 looked really good and has been very solid for the Marlins. Clearly the Marlins closer in my opinion. And I think it's pretty obvious that that's who they're going to roll with. But it just seems like some people might be unsure as to whether he should be the guy or Yimmy Garcia. And I have my vote of confidence for Anthony Bass. Something I also tweeted about today, and I think I've mentioned it on the podcast a little bit, but I wanted to just rehash this briefly is that I really do believe Isan Diaz should be the starting second baseman. And it's not that I have anything against Jazz Chisholm. I still think he can be a superstar. And it's not just because Isan Diaz has been hitting well the last couple games, though that does strengthen the case. When you look at Isan, what else does he need to prove at the minor league level? That doesn't mean that that ensures that he is a major league success, but what is him hitting a triple A going to do anymore? He hit at the lower levels. He then put up 26 home runs in AAA. If he goes back to AAA this year and hits a bunch of home runs, are you going to be more confident about Isan Diaz's major league outlook? I won't, and I don't think anybody else would either because it's not really indicative at this point for him of success at the major league level. He was as good as anybody in AAA, and it didn't quite translate. He needed to adjust at the major league level. He still needs to be more aggressive, and he needs to transition a bit to baseball at the highest level. It was the same thing for him defensively. He's not a bad defender at second, but he made nine errors and a very short sample size in his first stint in the big leagues. And that's just not characteristic of him. It just seemed like the game was moving too quick. When I look at Jazz Chisholm, he has so much going for him. He's a better athlete. He may be able to hit for more power, steal more bags, but ultimately Jazz just isn't ready in my opinion. I think we saw that in the abbreviated season last year. And when you look back at Jazz, he has not really proven himself at the minor league level yet. The guy slugged 20 home runs in 2019, but he also struck out 30% of the time. And that's not something you look at and you go, okay, he struck out 30% of the time, but he hit for some power. Let's call him up. The only reason he got called up last year was because the Marlins needed him. They were decimated and he did help defensively. He does add some excitement on the base paths and he can be a 2020 guy, but he's going to need to cut down on the strikeouts. And I don't think we've seen enough to be like, okay, He's going to cut down on the strikeouts. He's ready to go. We need to see more, and I think he benefits from at-bats in the minor leagues. Isan, I don't know if he benefits anymore from at-bats in the minor leagues. Jazz easily has some more to prove, though. You know, if he looks really good through the spring and seems like he's put it together, then maybe he's good to go. But if it's a toss-up 
Find out what you got with Eason at this point. You can justify sending Jazz Chisholm to the minor leagues to just get a little bit more polished. Eason at this point, you got to figure out what he can do at the major league level. Otherwise, you're wasting time, and you can always move on from him if he struggles through the first couple months. You have that contingency plan of Jazz Chisholm, and then a really good third option in John Birdie. Chad Wallach at the catching spot is now 0 for 7 in his spring training season so far. I have a good feeling Sandy Leone's going to ultimately end up being the backup, and it's not like he's a much better hitter. I don't think the guys hit above the Mendoza line since uh, I started this podcast. So I just don't know what the Marlins are thinking, even backup-wise. Why wouldn't you upgrade the backup spot when you have a question around your starter? But that's something I just will talk about ad nauseum, and I just there's no point in me rehashing that anymore. Alexander Guillen, a little bit better this time. One inning, one strikeout, one walk. I'm not giving up on that guy yet. He's got great stuff. Poteet ran it up to 95. Eliezer was good with the swing and miss, but there was no in-between. When there was contact, it was loud, and he gave up three runs on four hits and two and two-thirds. That's the thing with Eliezer is there's sometimes where he's going to get knocked around, and there's sometimes where he's going to be lights out. He's going to rack up the strikeouts usually, and I just still am very unsure on him as a starter for the Marlins. I have been so encouraged by Trevor Rogers, though I think he is going to be a star in this rotation. I keep saying that over and over again, but I cannot wait to see what Trevor Rogers is going to do. Even in these flashes that we've seen so far in spring training, he has been utterly fantastic. And I think that he's ultimately going to be the four guy, Eliezer, closer to the five. And if the Marlins have an issue or Eliezer is not going well, that's where I think somebody else is going to get an opportunity. But I'm hoping Eliezer can continue to put it together and find a third pitch that he can lean on a little bit more instead of being a two-trick pony. Marlins overall had a good day offensively. Corey Dickerson is back to being aggressive again, and I love it. That's what we've been talking about. Aggressive Dickerson. He goes three for three. Starling Marte looks like he's getting back into it. He's been enjoying a good spring so far far. How about Garrett Cooper? Two for three today, up to a 1273 OPS. The guy just hits. The guy just hits. And I'm so glad that those trade rumors have diminished because he's arguably the best hitter in the Marlins lineup. And Brian Anderson stays hot as well. A classic Brian Anderson line, though. One for three with two Ks, but he's hitting 417 so far in the spring. So plenty to be happy about from your Marlins offense. As for Victor Victor Mesa, he pinch hit, played center field, went 0 for 3. I think that the clock is ticking on this guy and it just doesn't look like he's ever going to be what the Marlins were hoping. So far 0 for 6 in the spring, just not really showing any improvement at the plate. Limited patience. He walked once so far. The swing is not there, the approach is just not there and there's just been no production. He's just a ground ball guy and He's just not even hitting the ball that hard. It's been frustrating to watch, especially with how much the Marlins shout out for him. But the good news is that his younger brother may end up being a very good piece for the fish and will salvage that bonus deal that they packaged the two of them into. It's been fun watching this team in spring training. I wish we could watch from a little bit better than a GoPro in the press box, but the Marlins have been looking strong, and I'm excited to see how this team's going to come together as we get closer to the season. How about that man, J.J. Boudet, too? Just showing so much patience at the plate is so advanced. I really believe he's going to get a chance to break into the big leagues at some point this year because he is showing just already how polished he is 
and how much value he got out of the alternate training site since he didn't get a season under his belt. He said last year, I'm going to be ready no matter what. We always thought that was a little bit lofty for 2020, but I loved the attitude, and I'm sure he has the same attitude going into this year, and he has looked very good. A good first half could make the Marlins, or he could kind of force the Marlins' hand to eventually calling him up, especially if they need some offense in the outfield. And if some of the guys aren't producing or somebody goes down with an injury, I think Boudet has got to be near the top of the list. That'll do it for today's episode. I am so excited to get back into the full swing of things with this podcast and with the Marlin season. We're getting so close to the start. As always, thank you for listening, and I am so excited to share this Marlin season with you. I think it's going to be a really fun one with a lot of young talent. It's kind of reminding me of the early 2010s or that 2008-2009 team. That's what I think this Marlins team can be with a balance of a little bit of veteran know-how and a lot of young, exciting talent. And let's have a fun season this year. Look forward to talking Marlins with you tomorrow.